Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about First Baptist Church of Silva, please visit firstbaptistsilva.com. For the last several years, and for any number of reasons, joy has been missing. Joy has been hard to find. I suspect you know what I'm talking about. We have been in a protracted and extended season of grief and of loss. And who can blame us for feeling ill at ease and disconnected with sources of contentment and happiness? Even in the last few months, the things that we have begun to do again, perhaps, they have not been filled with joy, have they? If for anything, they've... They've been missing a sense of soulfulness that we are pining for. We seem to focus on that which we are against rather than what we are for. There is a spirit of sadness that permeates everything that we are doing. I know it sounds arrogant to suggest that I know what the source of our joy is, but in this case, y'all, I do, because the Bible tells me so. The source of our joy is pleasing God. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. I know, right? Why would anyone want to please God? It seems like increasingly pleasing God is an alien concept to us. God may exist, we think, but we just don't care. We choose to live a life that is pleasing to God as an act of gratitude for a God who saves us from our sins. We live a life that is pleasing to God because God knows what's best for us. A life that is lived as God wishes and directs will result in joy. We know this. We're just having a hard time experiencing it. Because I'll just say it, the one obstacle that stands in the way of pleasing God is our pursuit of pleasing ourselves. That is, making ourselves happy. Putting ourselves first. Tell me, How's that working out for you? Today's scripture gives us a new way forward. The preacher is wrapping up their sermon with some straightforward appeals to impact our lives. We're going to lift them up here. The first seems a little bit like a word salad. Let mutual love continue. Why not just love one another? What is this about let mutual love continue? Seems a little unnecessary, and yet it's not. Let the love that we have for one another as brothers and sisters, let it continue. Don't let it stop. 
Keep on loving one another, even and especially when it is hard. I know, when I first read this, I I overlooked it. I jumped to the next thing. And yet, as the preacher wraps up this grand sermon that was circulated, this is absolutely foundational. We cannot take this command for granted. Loving others in our day and age, has never been so easy to dispense with. I read an article the other day. Some of y'all may have seen it. It It's about the subscription services that you see that provide our entertainment. Netflix, Amazon Prime, Peacock, you name it. What they're finding is that people have no real appetite to remain members or to remain subscribed or to remain connected to something if it no longer meets their needs. I'm guilty. And yet, in the midst of looking at the world as consumers, I will be with you for as long as you provide what I want and need. That extends also to our love for one another because we have found ourselves canceling one another for years now. If you don't believe as I believe, as you don't see the world as I see, we are increasingly choosing to have nothing to do with one another. This is not of Christ. Ghosting. The insidious practice of choosing to unilaterally stop being engaged in the life of someone else. Again, brothers and sisters, I am just as guilty of it as any of us are. Because it's so tempting, isn't it? If a relationship is hard, dare I say toxic, we just choose to stop showing up. And we're doing all this in a sea, a landscape where hate and animosity have become great motivators for action and how it can be manipulated to do that which is of the world and of the principalities warring with one another to get things for themselves. When we love one another, it pleases God Like watching your children or your grandchildren play on your front lawn. God will be delighted in the fellowship and the joy we experience at Deep Creek this afternoon. Loving others and being loved in return brings us joy. And that has been sabotaged during this extended season in our lives. Strangely, the love that we do have for others can also become a barrier, a limitation. It's born out of fear and anxiety that the love that we have, particularly for our own tribes, our own unique nuclear families, that that it may be threatened so we throw up walls so that that is not taken away from us. When our love becomes internally focused on holding on to it, we may not feel like we have the capacity to love beyond our bubble. I hear this in our conversations. In order to protect our own love for our our close friendships, our, our own families, 
We don't feel as though we can give anything else to anyone or anybody. But the writer of Hebrews believes that true joy comes with sharing what one has with others, especially those whom we don't know. The preacher says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without even knowing it. Being hospitable means practicing empathy, feeling alongside someone. Being hospitable means being empathetic and taking one more step. It's not enough just to feel along someone. Christian hospitality of loving kindness means anticipating the action step that's required. And there's nothing more compassionate than caring for those who are strangers or, as the preacher articulates here, those who are forgotten. Preacher says, remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. Again, the preacher is summing up his sermon before excusing the congregation to go get in line at lunch at the buffet. Keep loving one another. Be hospitable, especially to strangers, and don't forget our prison ministry. That is how the preacher is leading off this moment. You've heard the story, undoubtedly, of the minister in a church on a Sunday morning who began preaching against liquor. A couple of women in the back elbowed each other and said, Mm-hmm, I hope Hazel's husband is listening to that. Preacher went on, began to, to preach against the vice of gambling. Another elbowed her friend and said, I hope my brother-in-law is listening to that. And then the preacher went on and, and talked against and preached against gossiping. And there was silence among the women in the back. And, until one of them elbowed the other and said, Mm-hmm, that preacher's gone from preaching to meddling. Preacher in Hebrews has gone from preaching to meddling. Listen to it. Let marriage be held in honor by all. And let the marriage bed be kept undefiled, for God will judge fornicators and adulterers. It doesn't need a lot of unpacking, but hey, since we don't get to talk about sex very often. For those who try and please themselves and place a premium on their own desires, it will not go well for them at all. When you guard the sanctity of your marriage, you will know joy. When you are faithful to your spouse, you will know joy. So be faithful to one another as God has and continues to be faithful to you. For just as we are to have no other gods before God, we are not to have any other than the one we have committed ourselves to. Sexual intimacy is intended to be guarded in a covenantal relationship that we call marriage. Lust is not confined to our physical desires. The preacher says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. It's a reoccurring theme 
The lust for money means that you're seeking to please yourself. So the commands to honor your marriage vows and to keep your lives free from the love of money serve as a contrast to what the world says will bring you contentment. Illicit sex and easy money provide counterfeit contentment. It's like poison ivy. When you scratch it, it addresses a temporary itch, but it makes everything worse. The pursuit of pleasing ourselves or to to simply break up the boredom does not fulfill. Joy is found in fidelity and in gratitude and in contentment for what God has given us. Preacher continues, remember your leaders, the preacher says, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Joy grows out of remembrance and thanksgiving. There's a reason why on our communion table in front it says, this do in remembrance of me. Our faith is built on recalling what God has done for us because it provides us when we are in the storm, when we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, it provides us with a memory for how God has worked in our lives. So continue to be thoughtful about those who've gone before you, your acting leaders, your RA leaders, your Sunday school teachers, your aunt who gave you your Bible when you were in the fifth grade, mentors and friends in the faith. Remember them. Look at their lives. This is one of the best things about being a part of a congregation. It's so countercultural. I mean, look at the demographic. Anybody in the business world would look at what we're doing and say, what you're doing is impossible. You need to focus on one demographic. Zero in on the 20-somethings. Do everything for them. Or better yet, zero in on your senior adults. Do everything just for them. You know what? Families. Children. We'll be so carved up, there will be nothing but crumbs for anyone to feast on. The benefit and blessing of being a congregation this day and age is to help us know it requires all of us to help us recall and to see in one another what it's like to be a high schooler when it is so difficult or to know how to keep walking after you've experienced such a terrible loss or to find a way over a a circle in our front yard during a pandemic to share your stories with one another. Because when we do that, we are able to learn from one another. We're able to see how God has worked in our past and is working in our todays and is going to show up tomorrow. Why in the world would you want to go through what we're going through without that kind of institutional memory, y'all? By being present, by being engaged in the life of others, we learn from one another. Joy, however, is best captured in this truth that I'm about to read. It's one that confessionally, I've not been able to tease out this week. Each week I sit with the scripture that's been selected through the lectionary. I'm trying to listen to God in different ways. But this is a verse 
that I've had a difficult time conveying, I think, the sense and the power behind it. And maybe it's because it doesn't need a whole lot of explanation. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forevermore. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forevermore. I can't help but tell you what a comfort that is. At a time when nothing seems the same. Where we pine for improvement. Where we grieve the losses. When we look around and see ourselves in a veritable graveyard of our hopes on this side of a terrible season that we've had to suffer through. I find this greatly comforting to know that Jesus is unchangeable. God's love to us in Christ Jesus never changes. The Christ we meet in Scripture, the Christ that is present with us through the valleys that we walk with and through the Jesus that will be present with us tomorrow in that hard meeting that you have, in that difficult conversation that you want to not have with your friend later on this week, or to confront that conversation as a family with a family member who needs intervention and help. Christ is there. Christ will be present, and Christ, unlike anything else in our world, is unchanging. The joy that God wants for us is contagious. God wants us to be infected by the truth and joy of Christ Jesus so that we will be able to extend joy to a world consumed with bitterness and envy, indifference and apathy, anger and resentment. Y'all, there is no better time in our history to be Christ's followers than now. Joy is not a commodity, commodity to buy. It is a fruit that's born out of pleasing God. A church representative went to Malawi in Africa and was deeply moved by what they saw. It was a community that was in great need. And yet there was something that they believed that they could do, something that they could do to impact the life of, of the people there. The, the children were malnourished. They desperately needed doctors. They needed a clinic. Upon returning to the church, they said, I, I think there is a way for us to make a difference in these people's lives. I've seen it there. They, they showed pictures. They showed video. There was a way, but it was going to be very expensive. They were going to need to raise $160,000 to build a, a fully equipped pediatric clinic. Church had never done anything like this before. But they decided to raise these funds through a special Christmas offering. 
So they spread the news. They, they talked about the difference this would make in the lives of, of individuals they'd never seen before. And yet they were moved to show up on that Christmas Eve and to give generously. And when they did, they were struck at how many people showed up for that service. People they'd never seen before. People in the community that had heard about what they were doing and showed up. And at the moment when they were all called to give their gifts, adults were openly weeping. Children were laughing, excited, running down the aisles to give their gift because they knew that in loving one another, in doing something together, in sharing what they had, they could be a source of life in Christ's name to others. The pastor, before they gave their gifts, he asked them to write on the envelope where the money had come from. And this is what he learned. To give financially so that they could build a pediatric clinic in Africa. He learned that children had sold toys and candy. They'd saved their allowances. They had babysat and sacrificed their own Christmas presents to be able to give to the children of Malawi. He learned that adults had given up physical therapy, their own Christmas presents, they'd given it up. They had hosted dinners, sold stock and their own vehicles. They donated savings, had given up winter vacations, and one couple had even donated money that they would have used for fertility drugs in hopes that even if they couldn't have a baby, maybe they could help someone who did. Everyone, he reported, dug deep and made personal sacrifices to achieve the goal. And when they had counted up their money, they had not raised $160,000. They had raised $525,000. And they'd never been filled with such joy. Let your love for one another continue. Be hospitable. Look beyond your own network and see and, and be loving to the stranger. Remember those who are incarcerated. Remember those who are hurting. Come up alongside them. Love them. Be faithful to your commitments and to the one you've committed your life to. Be clothed in love for Christ is the same yesterday as he is today and as he will be tomorrow. Y'all, if we've lost our joy, it can be found. For when we please God, we can't help but be pleased ourselves. Let us pray. God, we are so very hungry to be joy-filled Help us, convict us, God, to see that in pleasing you, we will find joy. A joy that has been missing, a joy that is desperately needed here on Main Street, in Colloway, at Western, in our schools, in our homes, in our places of work, in our nation, and in our world. God, help us to recognize that 
our joy can be found. And it can only be found in pleasing you. For it's in Jesus' name, who is the same yesterday as he is today and forevermore. Amen.